our King Come let us bow at His feet He has done great things See what our Savior has done See how His love overcomes He has done great things He has done great things
to the song, too. How fun is that? <laughs> All right, well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. And we are so glad to have you here this morning. And we take a break in between worship um, to talk about something called prayer. And prayer is basically lifting up our knees to God and speaking to Him and just having conversation. And one thing Tyler said last service that I thought was amazing is we are a church that fights for authenticity. We are a church that fights um, to be real and be vulnerable with each other. And so when it comes to prayer, I think it's tricky because we kind of want to put on a front with God. We kind of want to be like, everything's fine. Everything's good. Like, I'm feeling great. Everything's fantastic. And it's like, but it's not. Like, we come into this place and we come to church and we think we have to put on our mask. We have to put on our, like, good person outfit. We have to make sure, like, everything's put together. But we're a place that says, come as you are broken, messed up, and everything as it is, because that is what's real, and God wants real. He wants your heart, he wants who you are. And so in this place, when we come into time of prayer, we wanna say, we're here and we're fighting for you. We're fighting for whatever you're going through. If things aren't okay, awesome, let us fight with you. Or if things are great, let us celebrate with you. We just wanna be with you in this battle. And one of the big ways we do that is praying together. So I know it's kinda weird, but we do it in youth ministry where it's like we grab each other's hands when we pray. And it's just because it's a really personal thing when we join hands, it's kind of saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. So if you're not too uncomfortable with it, if you are, that's fine. You don't have to. But just grab the hand of the person next to you, anyone who's there. Oh, yeah, you guys did it. Thank you so much. That was going to be really awkward if you didn't, but I was going to pray either way, so it was going to be fine. All right, but bow your heads. Jesus, thank you so much for this place. God, thank you so much for Journey Church. We just are so grateful to have a place that we can come and we can just be who we are, God, and we can experience um, your presence. We can experience your love, Lord Jesus, and that we can just um, have the freedom to worship your name, that we can have the freedom to explore who you are, to ask the hard questions, to ask things that we're afraid to ask sometimes, and just be completely vulnerable and authentic before you, Lord Jesus. I pray that that would be our goal in this service, God, that we would just push to be really, um, real with you, that we would lay everything before you, Lord Jesus, that we would accept whatever you want to speak to us, God, that we would have our ears tuned to what you would have to say, Lord Jesus, because you always speak to us with love and kindness and grace. So we just ask that as the continuation of the service goes on, that we would just open ourselves up to you, God, and we would open ourselves up to whatever you want to say to us. And in your beautiful and precious name, Jesus, we say, amen.
morning journey. Let's take a seat. You take a seat. I'll keep on standing. My name is Bianca, and um, I have the honor and privilege of encouraging you this morning with the giving message. Um, so you, if you've ever heard one of my giving messages, it's story time. So, um, and also my mom's here today, so she's going to keep me accountable with the story because I want to make sure I'm telling it right. Um, about three and a half, four weeks ago, I had a little bit of a mental breakdown, as you do, um, and I was driving home, and my car started, like, feeling weird. That's the way I describe it to the mechanic. Uh, it just felt weird. And so I thought, okay, we had to take it in. It wasn't working. Took it in. Had to rent a car. Rented a car for a couple days. And I was praying that it was going to be, like, this loose bolt that was going to cost me, like, $2 or something. But obviously it wasn't. It was a transmission. Fantastic. So um, had to pay for that. That was a lot of money. And then I went to go bring the rental car back. And I knew how much it was going to be, and the lady says, hey, can you come out real quick? And I go out there, and she's like, do you see how the hood, like, has these two, like, dents? And I was like, is that not how the, the hood is? Like, that looks like normal. She's like, no, it looks like people sat on it. And she goes, was it you? And I said, well, I only have one butt, so if there's two spots, it wasn't me. And I said, I didn't do it, and I didn't bring a friend, so I don't know who did that. I think it was there before, and I didn't check the hood. So I had to pay that, found out that my insurance didn't cover it. It was so fantastic. So paid extra for that, and I was like, awesome. Then the next day, I go to do laundry, and I hear, like, the toilet running. It's like this weird sound. I'm like, I've never heard that out here. And then I look at the water heater, and I'm like, you're not supposed to make that noise. And I look, and there's just water flowing out my garage. My water heater busted. So I was like, okay, great, fantastic, perfect. So had to get a new water heater. They were gonna install it, Lowe's is great. If you're watching Lowe's online, we love you. Give us more water heaters. Um, so they came to install it, the plumber. As I'm driving to, to the plumber to meet him, I get a ding on my phone. I'm in school, as I've talked about multiple times. I'm like, ooh, my grade's posted, awesome. Like I'm transferring to CSUN this semester, so excited. So I go and I look and it says I failed a class and I was like, what? No, by my calculations, even if I failed this paper and got a zero, I still would have passed with a B. And so I'm like freaking out, crying, because I do. And I get there, the poor plumber's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm not, but please just install the water heater, it'll be better. And he goes and he goes, oh yeah, you got a lot of water damage on your wall, you're gonna have to take that out. I'm like, what? So I had to file a claim with my homeowner's insurance. I literally have done so many grown-up things in this past like month that I've never done before. So I had to do that. They had to like organize different people because my air conditioning and my, my heater had to come off as well. And everybody's like, no, we don't do that. You have to get a whole new furnace, which is like $8,000. I'm like, no, I will unscrew it. I don't know how to do it, but I'll figure it out. There's got to be a YouTube out there. So I'm like trying to figure out how to do all this. All this happens, and then like the, the cream of the crop, the that's not the saying, but I don't know what it is. And so the last thing is I'm driving home and my tire blows, like completely blows. And I literally sat there and I'm like, am I being punked? Like, I feel like this is like for Ashton, where are you? And so I'm freaking out. I'm like, this is too much, Lord. Like, this is a lot for somebody to have to deal with in a couple days. And mind you, I'm not working, so my parents have been helping, and they actually are like, okay, well, we got to pay for it, so let's just do it. Let's just do it. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. So then the Tuesday after all this happens, my mom gives me a call, and she says, hey, Bianca, you need to pray for 
Frank from our church. He's not doing too good. So now my parents live up north in the Oakland area, and they go to a church. They've been faithfully going there for 36 plus years. And um, Frank is this guy that we've got a lot of history with. Frank came into our church. A neighbor in the neighborhood got saved at, like, I think the first time he came to church, he got saved, brought his then-girlfriend. They had been dating for 20-plus years. They had they had kids that had kids. Like, they had been living together and been dating for years. Um, she came. She has MS, so she's in a wheelchair. He's the sole provider of the family. His family starts coming to church. They all get saved. You know, Frank decides we need to get married. We want to make things right before God, so we're going to get married. But they don't have enough money to do that. So my mom's like, don't worry, we'll figure it out. So my mom gets all the women of the church. They decorate the church. They do a potluck to do the reception. They have a beautiful wedding. And then my mom kind of went to every, all the ladies in the church and got some money together to send them to a bed and breakfast for their honeymoon. Then a little while later, Frank's car breaks down and it, he doesn't have a car to go to work. Mom and dad are like, hey, we got an extra car. Let's give it to Frank. He needs it. That We don't need an extra car. We, we as well only have one butt. We don't need two cars. So we will just give him the extra car we have. So Frank gets our car. Frank has been serving in our church faithfully. He's with my mom doing kids. If anybody does kids ministry, you know how much work it is. That man is faithful doing kids church with my mom every other week. Um, on the weeks that he doesn't do that, he helps my dad. He's the sound guy. If you're a worship leader, you know that your sound guy can be your best friend or your worst enemy. So whether he does it right or not. And Frank is amazing. So he's got a lot of skin in the game at our church over there back home um, up north. So mom says, you know, you got to pray for Frank. He's not doing so good. He had chest pains, and he actually has to get a triple bypass. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this poor guy. She goes, I know. He wasn't expecting it. And my mom sounds, like, really hurried most of the time and she's like she's like I'm trying to get home because I have to get home I'm like why what's going on and she's like well his daughter lives in Atlanta and she's trying to sell her truck because she can't afford to come out here she's a single mom she's got kids and it's too much money and I was like man that stinks that she's trying to get out here and she can't and then my mom goes well daddy and I've been praying and we're gonna me daddy and Tia my aunt we're gonna pay for her ticket. We're gonna we're gonna do that for her, and I gotta just run home and book the flight. So I'm like, uh, can we do that? We actually have been spending a lot of money lately, and jokingly she laughs and she goes, I know we're like the Kardashians. I was like, yeah, but we don't make money like the Kardashians, mom. We gotta remember that. So I kind of laughed, and she, you know, immediately we, like, laugh it, because what are you supposed to do? You're going to cry? So we laugh, and then she goes, you know what? But we know this is what God wants us to do, and he's going to take care of it. Like, he's got us. So we'll, we'll put it on a card, and he'll take care of it. Like, it'll happen. And I was reminded of a verse in, I want to be like my mom when I grow up. Um, I was reminded of a verse in John, John 16, 33. This is a verse that I've quoted multiple times. I've quoted it to people when they go through really hard times. You know, Jesus said to people, in this world, you will have trouble. If there is one thing that Jesus said that is most true, it is that, right? That every day, <laughs> there's going to be something that's going to go wrong. This world is not supposed to be like this. And I don't know where we, like, warp this idea that when we get saved, like, life goes perfect. But Jesus even said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But we constantly live out of that place. Like, oh my gosh, the floor is going to like drop from beneath us. Like, you know, even reading about the earthquakes, people are like, when's the next big one going to happen? Just be ready. And I've been dreaming of earthquakes. Like, I'm sure many of you have like, you know, you're like listening to music or something. You're like, was that an earthquake? I felt the floor move. No, nothing. You're fine. Um, 
So we live in this constant state of that part of the verse, but the reality is that that's not the only part of the verse. It's kind of, that part is sandwiched between two things. The beginning part is, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And then it goes on to say, in this world you have trouble. And the end is like the kicker. It's awesome. It says, but take heart, for I have overcome this world. And it's this beautiful idea that Jesus is first. It's almost like he's preparing you for it. Okay, I'm going to tell you this so that you can have peace in me. In this world, there's going to be trouble. And I feel like we get so hung up on that part. part not part. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> on that part. <laughs> Can we erase that later? Yeah, okay. Um, we get so hung up on that part that this world has troubles. It's hard. Things happen. Life begins to happen the way we did not plan it to happen. We didn't think it was going to be like this. I didn't think everything was going to explode in one week. You know, Frank's family didn't think that things were going to happen to him right then and there. It was just chest pains. And we live in that moment. But church, can I encourage you? God has really, really spoken to me that we are not meant to live in the middle of that sandwich. We're meant to live on the other two pieces. That he's giving us all this information to let us know to stand in him because that's where peace is going to be. That you're going to go through this with me so that you have peace. And guess what? The reason why you can have peace is not just because I lived through this world or I kind of moseyed through it, got through everything, thank God. Whew, it's that he has has overcome this world. He didn't just live through it, he overcame it. And we get to live in overcoming the things that have happened to us, the things that are going to happen to us, to our families, to the people that we love. We get to live in the truth that God has already overcome that. So today when you give, can we give from the posture of we are coming from an overcoming place? And we may be at a place where we're like, okay God, things are really rough. But I know you overcame it. I know you're going to get us through this, so we're going to give. We're going to give our time. We're going to give our money. Or it just may be like, Jesus, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I need your peace because that is the only way that we're going to get through this. So let's pray as the ushers come forward. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, God, for today. Lord, I thank you that you have given us a home, a place that we can come, that we can invest ourselves into, God. I thank you that the church is just not just a place that we throw money to, God, but we become a part of the building, Lord. We embody ourselves into this place, that the body of Christ is meant to be something that we're a part of, God. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless our finances, bless our homes, and, God, that you would cover each and every circumstance that has gone on, and, Lord, prepare us for the things that are to come that we would live out of a stance that you have already overcome it, and we can do this in and through you, Jesus. We love you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a couple of ways you can give here at Journey, online at avjourney.com, in person as the ushers are passing the buckets, or you can text GIVE to 661-441-3511. I'm actually going to stay on here and do some announcements, if that's okay with you guys, but I'm going to invite Tess up to the stage. I'm back. And I have been talking too much, so you go. Ready? Go. Go. My announcements. Turn. Okay, so hi guys, again. Yes. Fifth and sixth graders, you are dismissed to go to your class and have the best time of your life. Way more fun than we might. Not way more fun than we're having. They have loops they have and snacks. they have games way more fun. Yes. and bubbles. Okay. I think. I don't they know. They have more fun than we do. I think they have stuff. That's not true. 
Anyway, but also, any newcomers, any first-timers, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We're so pumped you're here. We're actually so excited. We're here so excited that we have a gift for you. Yes. At the hot spot. Yes. I'm sing everything. I don't know why. I have been lying and telling people it's cookies, yes, and it's every not. I know. I keep telling you not when to. When did they change it? It used to be cookies, but every now service like, better. there's cookies, and everyone goes back there asking for cookies, and there's no cookies. And I tell her, and she thinks I'm like lying to her to try and like okay. mess this up. She I'm kind not. of gets rude about it, and she's like, "You're always telling the secret. It's supposed to be a secret, and you're always saying it's cookies. You it's never said cookies. that it wasn't cookies. It's you not just cookies. said it's a surprise. But it is a surprise. But it's not cookies. It's a surprise. You get something from the collective. It's awesome. Which is our coffee shop, and it's great. Best coffee in the Antelope Valley is what I'm saying. It actually is. Right? It's my favorite coffee in the entire world. I only drink it up until 11 a.m. because then I'm very not tolerant of caffeine. Well, so we're going to stop talking about that because we have other things to talk about. Yes. Why? Yes, so many things to connect here at Journey Church. We have a fun-filled Friday night. I just made that up. Um, this Friday, we have, first off, how many of you have ever played the game Bunko? Yeah! We have a Bunko night here on Friday night, hosted by the Mops Group. The first time I've ever done Bunko was with a group of women, and it was crazy. Like, those ladies were insane, and I was right there with them. So I fought for that gift as well, and I hit it. So Bunko Night is this Friday at 6.30 p.m. Um, it's not just for women, it's for men and women, for the family, whoever you want to bring, just bring. It's going to be an awesome time for us to connect, to right? Bunko. And the second thing going on, if you don't want to do that and you're a guy, we have Barbarian Circle, which is going to be out here in the Collective area. Um, so for any of our guys that are in the church, if you want to come, they were here last Friday. They're having an awesome time um, just connecting, eating, which is always fun. If there's food, you're there. I know. I always wish I could go. It was so good. Um, so food, they're talking, they're chatting, they're playing games. It's going to be an awesome time. 7 p.m. at this building. Bunko's going to be at the other building. One, one more thing that's going thing. on in the summer. It's a save the day. It's for the ladies again. Ladies mostly. are dominating this summer. We yes. are. But it's a girls' night out. So this is going to be on August 9th. Friday, August, August 9th. 9th. Save that date. It's going to be from 7 to 9 p.m. Yes. And it's a stand-up comedian. She's actually really funny. I've looked her up a bit. Because I don't go to anything without like first seeing if it's going to be funny. She's I'm like, picky. is this worth $15? Yeah. But it's going to be, actually. It's going to be awesome. So $15 is going to yeah. be per person. You can reserve your spots out at the hot spot, yes. which is where you can kind of get anything here at Journey Church. And it's, it's right out, out the doors. doors to the right. Yes, to the right, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I thought left when you walk in from the other place, but it's right this way. That's the bathroom. That's the hot spot. Yes. Yeah. Is that it? That's it. That's all we so got. So if you want to stand up, let's say hi to the next person next to the, the next person next to you. The next person next to you. <laughs> Thank you. 
How are we doing this morning? Who's loving the heat? I love it. I love it. Uh, we got one other thing I wanted to announce real quick that uh, came in last minute that was really important. Uh, DCFS, my mom works for them, and they are trying to get backpacks for kids uh, in the system. So if that is something that you feel led to be a part of, you can bring backpacks. We need them by not next Sunday, but that Monday. So the following, I think it's the 22nd, the 22nd. If we can have those, uh, we're trying to get about 75 backpacks. So if you could bring backpacks, if that's something God's putting on your heart. The other thing is, uh, if you're looking for an opportunity to serve in our community, Grace Resources, uh, we have a group uh, headed up by Julia Yosef, and there you can sign up for that in the hotspot as well to be a part of our community. But we are in a brand new series. Last week we kicked off, and it is called Let It Be. Really excited about this series because um, I love the idea of things not being stuck as they are. You know, when you have some crazy uh, earthquakes happening last week, and you have, uh, you know, chaos in life, and everything's kind of happening, you just need something to believe that it can be better. Right, that things aren't just as they are, that life isn't just about surviving, experiencing, figuring it out, getting through, that there's actually some enjoyment maybe, some thriving, something like good about it all. Can we agree on that? With the idea of let it be, um, we started looking at the garden, getting back to the beginning, because what we discussed last week is that God actually had an intention. I believe very much, we as a community believe very much that it was that there is a purpose, a plan, an intended design. There was a designer, and that, that means your life has intrinsic value and purpose. Every single person in this room, no matter how good or bad you feel, there is intrinsic in value in you being made in the image of God. And that there is a design for you, a purpose, plan. And that when God created, what we started off talking about last week, I kicked it off by talking about this idea of God creating. So in the first three days, we see that God created the heavens and, and like the expanses. Then the next day, he, he created the waters, divided them, and then, he, and then he created the lands. And then the next set of three days, he filled them. So you see this direct parallel. On the fourth day, then, he fills the heavens with the stars, the moon, and the sun. Then you see the next day, he fills the seas with fish and all the creatures. And then, and then you see the next day, on the sixth day, he fills the land with all these mammals and creepy crawlers and critters and all the things of the earth. Then he looks at all that, sees that it's good. He creates man and he places him in his natural habitat, which was the Garden of Eden. But the Garden of Eden translates into our, into our language, is translated either fertility or delight. And I think it's interesting to think about the idea that God intended that our natural habitat, that the way God designed us, that we were meant to be placed in delight. That in a culture and in a world that says you have to find delight outside of God because he's holding out on you, the original design and intent was that you would find delight in the center of God's will for your life. 
in the center of God's plans and purposes, in the center of who God is, his nature and his character, there would be delight. So we started there. Important idea to realize that nothing else is going to provide the delight that God offers and that it is designed, it is part of our natural habitat that we are meant to enjoy. I don't know if you hear this enough in church. We are meant to celebrate, folks. We are meant to, to be in community, to have parties and to be together. This is part of the intent. To work the land, to be there, to have purpose and meaning was all part of this. If we were to let it be as God designed, this would all be part. But we left last week by pointing out the fact that we can experience delight to this day, but it's not quite the same, is it? Because y'all weren't born in the garden. Neither was I. We weren't placed there. In fact, I think we live in the opposite. I don't know. I don't know if you know this, but it is a desert. Like, literally. I mean, my, my mom, we tried to plant some plants at our house, and it's like the desert, is, like the landscape is against you. Like the garden is everything works in perfect harmony. My mom tried to plant plants and all this stuff, these beautiful flowers, spent all this money. And she came to me yesterday and was like, I really think something's eating the flowers on the outer. And I'm like, I mean, we got dogs. Who, what? The dogs aren't eating it, so what could possibly be eating it? She's like, I think it's the rabbits. And I'm like, I mean, cute cuddly ones? No, you know I didn't say that. I'm not a big animal person, just reality. I was like, okay. But I was still like kind of skeptical because I'm like, I don't know. I've never seen any rabbits anywhere close to the house. Kid you not, this morning I'm getting ready. I peer out my window and there is legit a jackrabbit the size of a large cat hopping on over, sneaking towards the plants. I like slammed open my window and shut it real quick and it booked it back out. But I know that thing will be back. It is eating our plants. It is, it is out against our Garden of Eden that we're trying to create. You know what I'm saying? It is an issue. Can't control all of it. it is a result of the fall. Maybe it's just rabbits, you know, I don't know. But where we pick up is this idea that, yes, there is goodness and there is beauty and it is meant to be engaged, that delight and enjoyment and fulfillment is all part of the plan. But the plan gets messed up. Most of us know this. If you didn't, you're in for a big surprise today. <laughs> Starting in verse 15 in Genesis chapter 2, it says this. This is where we left off yesterday, and this is where I want to pick up today. It says, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend it and watch over it. So in other words, uh, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of delight to work it, is the literal translation. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So this is interesting. Look at, he, the Lord God puts him in the garden, gives him purpose, gives him meaning. One verse where he's like, okay, there's just this one thing, this little, little thing. You can eat all of this other stuff. Help yourself. Go to town, knock yourself out. Just the one, just try to avoid the one. But how many of y'all have kids? How many of you know the moment you tell them not to touch something, not to take something, what is their first response? 
what? <laughs> right? Yeah. Told the story first service. My mom, she, uh, she corrected me because the story was a little bit wrong and I made, made it look like she didn't know what she was doing, but she does. She was uh, babysitting because when we were growing up, she would babysit her best friend's kid. He was the same age as my sister, so she would watch them both together because she was a stay-at-home mom and did hair uh, from the house. And so she babysit, and some of that money was what went to us going to Disneyland and celebrating delight. We talked about that last week. Um, but this one time, so because we grew up, you know, when you're on a budget and you're balling on a budget, you don't get a lot of new stuff, right? And so in our family, something new was rare. And yet my dad had saved up because our recliner had broken, and my dad decided he was going to splurge a little bit and bought this lazy boy recliner that was leather seat, this like... Uh, it was like this beige color and it was super nice and very comfortable and the man was very proud of it and I mean super proud but my mom happened to be babysitting this one day and this little man's name was Sam Sam's over and my mom goes in the back to do some laundry comes out and there is ink pen a full mural all over this brand new lazy boy recliner and it's not a dark color so you see it in all its beauty all its colors so she calls Micah and Sam out because you know she's trying to be fair we knew it was Sam trying to be fair pulls him out you guys know what's going on here there's writing all over our brand new chair they're like no my mom lets Micah go because she's honed in on the, on the culprit, the guilty party. You'll understand why in a second. She looks at him and she goes, Sam, did you do this? He said, no. She said, who do you think did? Who did it then? And he said, it was a robber. <laughs> she said, really? Really interesting. How did he get in? She said, and Sam said, he climbed in through the window. They drew all over it. And then he left. My mom's like, wow, some weird robbery. A new tactic. Throw us way off our game. Didn't take a dang thing, but I'm going to draw a whole new you know, picture all over your, your couch. So she looks at him, and she sees that his hands are like a plethora of color, pen, all over his whole body, covered. It was not just the couch, the love seat. She looked at him and she goes, okay, so then why do you have pen all over you? And without skipping a beat, and I kid you not, this kid looked straight her, at her in the eyes and said, he tied me down and he drew all over me too. <laughs> I mean, at that point, how do you even argue with that? You a liar, child. We knew in that moment he was either going to grow up to do great things or be in prison. There was two <laughs> options. Two, two options. We love Sam. Love Sam. But there is a natural part inside of us that goes for the very one thing that God tells us not to. Do we not? It feels like there's innately in us this sense that, that God is holding out. That there's something better that he's not providing he, he would just give us what we want. We would be happy. We'd experience what? Delight. We'd experience that delight. 
But I love this. He barely, he touches on it, and then he goes from giving the man purpose to, to the, explaining this real quick, and then going back to, it's not good for man to be alone, so he creates a helper. Helper, uh, the translation literally is uh, the complement to him. Partner. That this is somebody who is a co-heir, an equal. We get this, all kinds of wrong. Equal, partner, complement, comes alongside to do this together. It is not impl- implying that there is a lesser than, that you are, there is a weakness in. This is a partner. And God designs this and sets this up. So that man can have the fullness of everything that was intended in the garden because he sees the one thing that's missing in the garden. I keep pointing over here because this is all the greenery. (laughs) Closest thing we got to a garden in the AV right now. The whole point was he looked at it and it wasn't good. So he created relationship. He created community. And God says this, and it says this one thing in verse 25. I want you to pick up on this because this is kind of going to be the theme. Now the man and his wife, in verse 25 it says this. Now the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. The man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. So they're hanging out in the garden completely just free living. On, in every meaning of the word. Like they're just going to town, doing work, and they're naked as the day we were all born and they're hanging out but we get see this and we think okay weird whatever but this was this whole idea of nakedness up until this point this idea of nakedness was associated with innocence it's like a child right there is nothing innately sexual or wrong or inappropriate about it it's innocence pure unadulterated innocence and they were together and they were known and what this implies is not just that they hung out and that they worked well together there was a profound trust they knew each other they knew each other their marriage their relationship their connection was to be fully known there was no secrets there was this full recognition of i fully know you your motives your ends and your outs your heart's desires, your dreams, and I can come alongside you, and that was the way helping was intended. In being fully known in a garden where there was purpose and there was meaning, and now relationship was meant to finish off this idea of delight. There was no shame, no hiding, no faking, no fronting, just fully there. It was the same between them and God. But things change. We go on to see that we switch to chapter 3, and the world gets flipped upside down in chapter 3, as many of us know. Snake comes into the garden, talks to Eve. They talk about the fruit. Eve kind of gets the initial of what God said wrong in the whole first place. She ends up eating it. So does Adam. And in an instant, everything changes. Everything changes. We know this. We've heard this. We've, we, you've seen it. You know, they do spinoffs on shows like this. When we pick up in chapter 3, verse 7. I want to read this real quick. Notice the very first verse, what it says. 
At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Little did they know that the shame they felt could not be covered by any kind of physical clothing. How many of you know what that feels like? That no matter how much you cover, no matter, you could wear a turtleneck or a hoodie, and it's not gonna cover the shame that you're feeling. There is no cover for an internal sense of shame. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Stop again. Notice that the garden, the one place that was actually meant to be, like, to be dealt with together, to be experienced in relationship, in community, now became the very thing that was a source of hiding. The trees that were meant to just evoke awe and wonder and beauty now become the things that they hide behind. The very intended order of creation gets flipped upside down, even in this basic moment where they're hiding behind the very tree that was designed to be a part of this beautiful landscape. Him source of hiding. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me. Let's just say this, that was going to be, that, that was an awkward dinner that night. <laughs> Bedtime did not feel quite the same. It was the first moment where a man experienced being in the doghouse, you know. <laughs> she said, what? <laughs> Yikes. He said, it was the woman you gave me. Dang, there's a pattern that's about to emerge that I want to talk to us about today. We'll continue, though, before we, before we move on to that. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. That's why I ate it. The garden. We get so caught up on the physical nature of the garden that we, real, we forget and we miss out on the, the idea that our intended design was connection, relationship, intimacy, vulnerability. That this was the real essence of what made purpose in the garden bring, it brought about meaning and designed in a way that allowed us to experience it together with God and humanity. There is a pattern that emerges though. And when you look at the Old Testament, I talk about this a lot. A lot of the Old Testament, we get, we get all kind of messed up in thinking that we're trying to take lessons from some of the Bible characters and like embody those lessons. Not the worst thing to do, but at the same time, doesn't fit. David never, ever used a Keurig in his life. You know what I mean? Like, yes, that sounds ridiculous. But at the same time, it's a completely different world. It's a completely different context. It's a completely different set of rules. The culture, completely different. So for us to try to apply those, it's kind of like, okay. So then we don't know what to do with the Old Testament. What the Old Testament is there to do is to show us the nature and the character of God. 
And God knows that in each of us, since the fall, that there would be a trust issue that immediately is created. And so he wants to show the long-lasting truth of his character that is consistent day in and day out, that has always been and will always be. So what we see in this moment is that there is a, a moment in time where we see the nature of God established from the very beginning. But there is also a pattern that emerges from Adam and Eve's behavior that I think I've seen in my life literally lived out to this day and I think is still a struggle for all of us within the church. Um, and I wanna hit on it today. Because what we see is we laugh about Adam and the way that he, the, the way that he approached this by, by pointing out his wife. But in this moment, and some of you have experienced this, the trust is broken. Right? The moment you turn your back on me and throw me under the bus, it's done. Game over. I won't, be able, I won't trust you as far as I can throw you. So we're not, this relationship instantly, the whole dynamic shifts. Now I got to guard up. As the fall happens and God confronts this and the woman says this and that it's the, the, the serpent and the man says it's the woman and blames the like, you know, this whole situation, God, there are natural consequences. And one of the, the curses, one of the things that sticks out is that it says that the woman would be for her husband, which doesn't mean she's just going to be in love with him. Her sin is loving too much. As I think we try to portray sometimes, I just love too much. I think that's my biggest flaw, my biggest sin. I love too much. Okay. What he's saying is, there is instantly now a tension and a battle for control. Why? I think we say this and people, a lot of times I think people think, I'm not controlling, I don't struggle with that. But the control isn't just in the obvious outright, like I don't want you to dominate me way, because some of you are naturally submissive. It is easy to be led. You don't, that does, it's not a tension for you. The struggle is and the control comes in when it comes to vulnerability and trust. I can't trust you to take care of my heart, so I'm going to protect it. And now it becomes a battle of who is more vulnerable, and the more vulnerable person is the weaker person, and we see who can give the least to maintain the most control in the relationship. Because to give all yourself to a person is to set yourself up to get hurt. Is it not? Anybody ever experienced that? You're gonna get hurt. So what do we do? We do the opposite, we take control of our vulnerability. Suddenly, the entire purpose of our relationship is to protect us, to clothe ourselves with as much armor as possible emotionally, so that the other person can't turn around and hurt us. How many of y'all got trust issues? I know I do. Trust issues are real. Why? Because people hurt people. If you've ever gotten your heart broken, or maybe you distrust people because you're the one that's always breaking people's hearts, and you know. You're all, I wouldn't trust me. You've got to be careful, right? This is a real thing. This idea of the, the loss and the brokenness of what took place is there is now a distrust with God as God's confronting, and there's a distrust with each other. The relationship is severed. 
They go on, that you start to see this in patterns in us. So this moment, I want to start with what it just said at the very beginning, verse 7. At the moment their eyes were opened, suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. They tried to physically cover what they couldn't explain going on inside. This is the first moment of experiencing shame. If you have ever experienced shame, you know exactly what this is like. Chances are you've done the same thing. You just didn't grab for fig leaves. This is what we do. We do something that causes and triggers shame inside of us. And shame is this deep sense that there is something innately wrong with me, that I am flawed, that I am broken beyond repair. Now, we don't like to go into this because it makes us feel weak. And since the fall, God knows we can't do that. But this idea of shame comes in when we take our own way. The idea of sin is missing the mark. So you take a bow and arrow and you shoot and you try to hit the target and you don't make the center, you miss the mark. This is sin, this is missing what God's intent was for us. It's not living out of his plan and his purpose. And when this happens, shame is triggered. Some of you, you know you've done something or things that have caused shame. Others of you feel like maybe you were born into it. Maybe from an early age, you experienced sexual abuse or physical or, or emotional or mental. Maybe as you grew up, I mean, maybe your, the whole birth situation for you like triggered shame, feeling of unworth, of not being wanted. Maybe you were abandoned or rejected. Maybe you were left. Shame goes on to trigger into our stories, into our worlds, right? We start to make decisions based out of those wounds and then all of a sudden we find ourselves in a whole broken place. But shame gets triggered. And make no mistake, if you haven't experienced shame, you will, because there's nobody exempt from it. This is one that hits very close to home because I know, I know these feelings well and I know that the way that it outplays itself. So this is what I see. We experience shame. First thing we do, we don't go put on a sweatshirt. What we do is we guard up emotionally, remove ourselves, make ourselves emotionally unavailable. We retract deep, deep inside. Maybe you continue to show up to church, but you're not here. You are not available. You are not present internally. Or maybe you take the next step like Adam and Eve did and you hide. Oh, I can't make it to church today. Oh, yeah, I can't make it to that event. Oh, yeah, I can't be around. Uh Uh-huh. Followed by, God starts knocking on the door of Adam and Eve's hearts. And I think so much like Adam, our first response is to say something like this. It's the community's fault. I I don't feel loved. I don't feel cared about. I just don't know that this church is for me. We start blaming outward. It's their fault. It's his fault. It's her fault. It's everybody else's fault. We don't address the shame inside. We address it outside. And we start projecting it out. It's everybody else. So I got to go to a new church. I don't feel loved. I I don't feel known here. I don't feel like anybody cares about me. Not mentioning the fact that we don't let anybody in to care about us because we aren't willing to risk the shame. So we're stuck. We avoid, we run, 
we shut down and little by little we begin to distrust people more and more and more and we find ourselves attending church rather than living in community we live in, we live in community with the intention we living in community was the goal us living together was the purpose but the enemy knows a few seconds of shame can have a lifelong consequence on how we do life in relationship. Some of you have been experiencing and living out of your shame. Your shame has been your, your ruler, your leader, your king for quite some time. At this point, you may not even know what to do without it. We blame. Then the Lord God asked the woman, the serpent, there's now control issues and a vulnerability issues and transparency issues and authenticity issues. We want to focus on the physical because that's more comfortable. But the reality is, y'all, if we were going to reestablish the garden here today, if we're going to reestablish delight that I believe we were intended to live out of, it's going to take steps away from the cycle and in the opposite direction. Why? Why is this? How? Like... Why does this matter and how do we do it? The fall has happened, it's already, it's, it's too late. I'd rather plant plants than deal with my shame. Yeah. Let's try to fix it physically because I can't quite get to it emotionally or internally. I'll just buckle down, just make myself look prettier on the outside. I'll, I'll hit the gym a couple extra times this week to maybe make my, improve my self-esteem a little bit or maybe I'll add on a couple other apps or try to another couple pictures, see if I get some more likes, some more follows, some more views or I do this, that or the other thing. I start flirting with somebody else instead of my spouse because it's just what it is and we find ourselves in these places that we never intended to be and suddenly we believe that that's all we are. That's as good as we get. Been there. Lived that. But I want you to see something. I want you to see something about God's nature. So yes, there's this pattern that we, set, we tend to follow time and time again every time we experience shame. But I want you to see God's nature despite this. Verse 20, chapter 3, verse 20 says this. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of, of all who live. And verse 21. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Something you need to learn about God really quickly today that is the full destroyer of religion, it is this. God is the one who will clothe your shame. In that moment, this is the first precursor to what will, after this point, create a, a sacrificial system where something has to die in order for us to be right with God. And so this is the first moment that we see animals dying to cover humanity's sin. But this becomes a cycle, right? And people keep have to kill and having to kill animals because they keep building up more shame because we keep finding ourselves in these broken places. We love the stories and the the you know we we love the testimonies of like oh I was a sinner and I was broken until I found God and then everything was better and now I'm just you know this freed Christian who lives like so glorious and beautiful and holy. I'm like hold up, about to be sick. This is not the reality. We still struggle. First, first step of authenticity, can we admit, we still struggle. Today, after the fact, hearing the good news. This is God's heart. Adam and Eve screw 
up everything. I don't know what your shame is today. I don't know what you're carrying. I don't know what you've been carrying. I don't know how big it is. I don't know what it will affect or who to face it and confront it. But let me tell you this. There's not a single person in this room that the result of their sin ruined everything for the rest of the world until God saved it. Not a single person in this room who their stuff was enough to shift the entire purpose and intention that God created and ruined it for everyone the way that Adam and Eve did. You can't top that. You may have some brokenness and you may have some shame, but I don't care what the enemy tells you, you can't top that. There's freedom from that because we see that God intentionally comes and after Adam and Eve ruin connection, ruin it all, and he's about to kick them out of the garden because there are consequences, but before he does that, he clothes their shame. Now, this is important because this becomes a theme that we see throughout Scripture. Throughout the rest of the, New, uh, the Old Testament, we see this cycle. Adam and Eve's cycle played out again and again and again. They mess up. They blame. Things go bad. God reinitiates. God engages. And then we hit this point where, uh, you know, we hit the New Testament. And this new man, Jesus, steps on the scene. And the thing that is important about this man, Jesus, is the very miracle, the very first miracle he ever does. Some of you have heard about it, him turning water into wine, but that was significant. Want to know why? Because it was a wedding feast. And the married couple, this new married couple, had run out of wine. And in an honor-shame culture, for you to run out of wine and not to take care of your guests was a very shameful thing. It was to communicate that we weren't prepared enough for you. You weren't important enough for us to prepare for you, even if you were just financially incapable. But for you to run out of wine was to not provide or take care of your guests. So it was to set their marriage up from the beginning with shame. Jesus made water into wine his very first miracle to cover this young married couple's shame. Fast forward, you hear about the prodigal son. The prodigal is the story of the kid who leaves and totally ruins relationship with his dad, decides to come back and maybe work for him. We don't know what his motives are. The dad sees him, picks up his uh, garments, and runs towards him. Two things that well-respected men in that, in that culture did not do. Once again, a shameful act. To show your legs was a sign of, of being lower in status that was reserved for slaves. Slaved wore, slaves wore the, the higher clothing because they had to work. To pick them up and then to run Running also was an indication that you were not in control, that it was not your time that was important, but that person's time. So for him to do that was to shame himself. And then the story gets flipped to say, Jesus is saying, that is the God's, heart, God's heart towards us. Once again, shame gets covered. Then the ultimate act. We see this in 1 John 4, 9, and 10. I want to read this real quick, and this is what it says. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. The, it continues in that the last and final sacrifice was in the man, Jesus Christ himself. The destruction of the disconnect and sin and shame from that moment on Adam hid why. He said he hid why. Because he was afraid. Afraid of what? 
what any of us know we are afraid of when our parents start yelling our name and they say our full name and we know we're in trouble. You're afraid of punishment. We are afraid of punishment. And we get religious, and when we live religion, we live out of that fear of punishment, and so we appease God, and we try to make things right with God, all the while can't seeming to get over our brokenness and to measure up enough for God to love us. So we live insecure and uncertain and unclear. But scripture is clear. Once again, through Jesus, God covers our shame. In Jesus, it says we become clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Clothed. Isn't that interesting that the language continues to stay the same from Adam and Eve when they were clothed with skin to hide their shame all the way to today and right now where God covers our shame once and for all. This morning, you may have shame and recognizing that this is important because if we are going to reestablish the garden, which I believe because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we can again bring heaven to earth. There can be change. There is hope of a better tomorrow, of a better today. We can reestablish the garden here in the Antelope Valley. And it's not going to come with someone gardening more. Although, hey, you got a green thumb? Have at it. I'll take that too. I, my prayer is that we do see a physical manifestation of beauty as this community begins to shift. But it starts with community. The entire point of this whole thing was that it was meant to be done in relationship. What we do today to reinitiate the garden, to reinitiate Eve, uh, sorry, delight, and Adam and Eve's story to change and flip the script is to do the opposite of the formula that they lived out. You're going to feel shame. You have two options, to follow them, to cover and run and hide and blame, or to turn and run towards God, to address it, to own it. Because he is there to cover it. Not to shame you further, but to cover it. Then there's another step. In order for us to reestablish relationship. Now, Paul goes on to talk about that marriage doesn't, isn't now the only thing that singleness, he actually blesses singleness and talks about that. So we learn that community and relationship isn't just within that marriage relationship. It becomes the church. It becomes the bride, that there is an intended purpose for us together. But y'all, if you want church to stop feeling like work, we might have to take some steps to remove the facade. To establish Eden is to get back to what Adam and Eve had in the beginning and lost, which is authenticity and vulnerability and transparency and real. You know what that means? That means you're going to have to probably pray and ask God for some safe people to reveal all of it to. To be 100% honest so that when somebody comes to call you out or to encourage you and you want to get defensive or you want to reject what they're saying, you can see that time has shown that they are there, that they love you, and that they're not going anywhere that there is safety. What would it look like for Journey Church to become a living, breathing garden of delight, a garden of Eden, when we begin to live from a place of authenticity, that there is safety here, that there are people you can go to and give all of it to, and know that you are gonna be loved, that just like Jesus, they are going to cover your shame in love, that we can walk in community, we can walk in safety, as we get ready to close and the worship team comes, 1 John 4, 18 and 19 says this as we continue on. It says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. 
If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. We want to experience purpose and meaning and delight the way that God intended, then we've got to take steps to getting back to the way God designed the garden in the first place. Y'all, it's going to take some sacrifice, and you may have to have some tough conversations. Trust me, been there. To own your stuff is probably one of the most brave and scary things because you are little by little stripping everything back down, not physically. So help me God, please don't take your clothes off. Keep those bad boys on for the love of all that is holy. But it is time to strip down emotionally. And I'm not saying do it with everybody because they are not safe people. And I will fully own that the church has done a terrible job historically of letting people live out the freedom to find freedom from shame and to step into a new story, to step into Eden once again, to step into delight, to step into freedom. But this was the intended purpose. There are safe people, however. There is safety, and they probably look like the ones who have already done the work of confronting their own. You want to find somebody that's safe? Find somebody who's already had to walk through theirs. Because it's really hard for me to get high and mighty when blaring and staring at me in the face is my own shame that God has already covered. I got nothing anymore to hide. We are who we are. Broken works in progress trying to reestablish a garden in the middle of a desert. Literally. This is what we're here to do, folks. Church would be transformed if it stopped being a place that you came to sit and listen and started becoming a place that you came to do life. That when it stopped being a place that we came and listened to messages and it started becoming a place that you felt fully known, you knew you were fully loved and you were able to walk and see the character of God lived out in the people around you and in your community, that there is freedom. I got the verse of the day this morning, y'all, from my YouVersion Bible app, and it let me know that it is for freedom that Christ has come to set us free. You don't believe me? Go check it. There is an ability to establish delight once more. You do not have to live in depression. You do not have to live in hopelessness. You do not have to live aimlessly just existing and trying to survive. You can step into purpose. Yes, it may look like some tough conversations. You may have to go home and have a conversation with your spouse and not give half-truths like the enemy loves to do, but fully own. You may have to invite some people in. You may have to make some apologies. You may have to confront some really painful truths. But can I tell you from experience, there's freedom on the other side of it. I stand here today as a man who knows the grace of God, not because I read about it, but because I've had to live it and experience it. I've failed and I've been loved. You can too. You can too. Let us begin to live out the garden the way it was intended and let it be the way God designed it. Steps we can take today, do the opposite of Adam and Eve when it comes to your shame. Don't run from, run to. You gotta first be willing to be vulnerable with God and open your heart. And you can't even tell you how many times I've heard men saying they avoid worship and they avoid church, not just because it's too loud or it's whatever, but because they don't want to feel emotional. 
they are scared of it making them feel emotional. Y'all, this is not something to be afraid of. This is God knocking on the door of your heart the way he did with Adam and saying, where are you? I'm here to meet with you. Realize God initiated even then, and he knew that they had already messed up. He knew they were there, that they were hiding, and yet he showed up in the garden to meet with them just like he did the day before, and he'll do the next day. And with each of us, he will do every single day until we meet him face to face, if we let him. We gotta get vulnerable with him first. The second, we gotta find some people to own it with, not to blame shift. Now, I'm not talking about taking blame for things that aren't yours. I'm not talking about you being abused and, and taking ownership as though that's your fault. I'm talking about things that you know, decisions that you've made that have walked away from God or that have not been in alignment. You own it. Because we experience love, forgiveness, and freedom. We find ourselves clothed our shame handled and the garden reawoken inside of us. It is possible and I believe it will start right here. We're gonna pray. Maybe today you've got shame. And I know in speaking this message, it's heavier. We talked about delight last week and it's like, oh man, we had such a lighthearted, fun, exciting message last week and then you just came out and just, we're such a downer. We cannot reestablish delight without experiencing the truth. That it was robbed of us, that we lost it, but we can regain it. And we do that by in initiating authenticity once more. Re-engage, maybe you got your heart hurt, maybe you tried and you got hurt, you got left, you got rejected, you got abandoned. I don't stop going to doctors because I had one bad one. So don't stop showing up in vulnerability and community just because you've had a bad experience. Open the door again. Let's pray. God, there are people in this room who are experiencing shame right now. They are feeling the weight of it. God, I pray that in this moment they would feel overwhelmed, one, by your covering, but two, by courage and the bravery that it'll take to step into freedom, that it does take a choice and that it is available. And if we let you take charge. If we let you rule and reign in our hearts, we will once again find purpose and meaning in our lives. That you can address the hopelessness. You will address the pain and the loss that we find it in you. The one who always makes the first move, who always engages us, who always loves us. Who always is there to cover us. As we continue to struggle, Father, I pray that we would find people to do this life with in our community, that you would restore broken relationships, that you would bring healing to the devastation caused by our sin, that we would find wholeness and purpose and find ourselves somehow stumbling back into delight in your intended purpose all along. I pray for those who have yet to experience and encounter a relationship with you, Jesus, that they would engage you today. They would see that it's a free gift. There is nothing we can do other than just accept it and fight to walk in it. Give us the courage and give us the, the awareness to see our patterns of running and hiding, avoiding, victimizing, blaming. Let us take ownership walk into freedom because there's not a single one of us who doesn't need that from you. 
Thank you, God, for your faithfulness, for your love. Be with us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close in a song. Why don't you stand with us as we sing? Yes.
Thanks for joining us today, Journey. We'll see you again next week.